coming up in this episode of Can You Believe It? See, Brady's doing proper journalism. Do we need to know this? We're Googling Yes, we do. (laughs) We do apparently now. That's the problem with God, isn't it? It's just he's never like right there when you need him, Mm. like on the couch next to you. (laughs) I've thought about this before and I thought the only person that I would tell is Matt. (laughs) Well, not even me. You're well, yeah, I, pro- yeah, I, I probably tell, tell, tell you as well, but uh, I want to check Brady, it. Is. Brady's sad now. Yeah, this is my house. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> you were falls in the skies alone. Illuminati's controlling your life. Can you believe it? Rub circles and Jesus toast. The time that kiss you fucked a ghost. Hello and welcome to Can You Believe It, a semi-regular podcast on the unexplained that asks the all-important question, can you believe it? My name is Matt Neal and I'm joined, as per usual, by Christmas Carol writer and occasional Ally McBeal co-star, The Colonel. Thanks for joining, Colonel. I woke up here. Thank you. Good. I'm also joined by Indiana Jones's less adventurous brother, Brady Jones. Welcome, Brady. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Matt Beal. <laughs> now, before we dive less into- Less adventurous brother. <laughs> now, before we dive into- I to- like to stay in. <laughs> yeah. I woke up here too. Uh, before we dive into today's tale of unsettling uncanniness, let's hear a message from our sponsor. Colonel? Uh, that's right. Uh, Doc, the sponsor- uh, today is from the great people at Metal Legs. I'm just going to um, pull this up here. Uh, I want you to think about legs. I mean, really think about them. Actually, look at your own legs now. Pathetic, aren't they? Think of what people might be saying about your skinny, useless human legs. That's why you need a pair of giant metal legs. Kick ass and chew bubblegum in a new pair of genuine, 100% high-grade steel legs. Why let amputees have all the fun? That's right. These giant metal legs have everything you're looking for in a pair of replacement legs. Durability? Check. Rust and weatherproofing? Maybe. Heavy as fuck. You bet your sweet bippy, these suckers are heavy metal legs. So jump online and book in your transition appointment to have your disappointing flesh legs removed and replaced today. Metal legs, step into tomorrow. Thank you to our sponsors, Metal Legs. Says it all in the name there, really, doesn't it? Uh, I am now going to read a story of from the paranormal and ask you all the important question, can you believe it? And hope that we don't get sued for this one. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be here. Now. Interesting. <laughs> Can't leave. It's your house. Oh, okay. Can you leave? <laughs> no. You've got the technicality. <laughs> Kelly Cahill was born in Brisbane in 1967. She was adopted at birth and spent much of her childhood in Papua New Guinea with her adoptive parents before moving back to Brisbane. At 16, she hopped on a bus and headed to Melbourne, quote, looking for adventure. At 17, she met her husband, Andrew, and they married a few years later and had three kids. They settled in Moi in Gippsland in Victoria's southeast. Mm. <laughs> oh, oh Moi. Moi. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's really close to us. I'm just going to maybe hold back a bit on this episode (laughs) just in advance. I know all these people. (laughs) (laughs) These are your relations? Uh. (laughs) In July 1993, having been a reasonably devout Christian, Kelly began to indulge in fervent Bible study. Quote, In pursuit of perfection in the eyes of God, I began spending more and more time in the back bedroom of the house, she said. I would closet myself in there for hours on end, praying, reading the Bible, and seeking his presence. Fervent Bible study. Mm. That's the start of a, of, of a fun time. You don't do it? things in halves when it comes to Jesus. Yeah. You've know you got to be fervent. Uh, it can't just be one palm nailed to the cross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two palms or nothing. Yeah. And feet. It, yeah. Have, yeah. <laughs> Get your metal legs nailed in there. <laughs> Over the next six weeks or so, she stayed in the room, quote, hardly eating, hardly coming out except to go to the bathroom or to deal with some minor family emergency. She claimed that her husband, Andrew, a semi-serious Muslim, quote, didn't mind and looked after the kids while I was doing this. What a good dude. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
I like yeah. him. We, we might have a hero of the story already. Early, I feel that every time this happens, it's just bad. But <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Props. yeah, yeah. Turns out he kills puppies. Yeah. Oh, oh god! god. Oh, there, there's that lawsuit we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> about three weeks into her retreat, after hours and hours of praying, Kelly called out to God, "Quote: Why can't you be closer to me? I want you here. I want your pure presence." That's the problem with God, isn't it? It's just he's never, like, right there when you need him, mm. like, on the couch next to you. <laughs> yeah. Being pure. Yeah. He moves in mysterious ways. Yeah. He's in the kitchen. Yeah. Something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just taking the bins out. Yeah. <laughs> Move your mysterious ass back in here and give me a cuddle. <laughs> as soon as I said this, an incredible thing happened. I suddenly felt a breathtaking, overwhelming presence in the room. A surge of energy washed over me, which caused my heart to race, my skin to flush, and my hair to stand on end. I felt a tingling sensation all over my body. My heart was pounding so hard that I was on the verge of blacking out, and I stayed like that for 15 minutes solid. I was unable to move or speak or get up. I was afraid that I would have a heart attack if I did move. Is that just what's ha- actually happened? Like maybe a cardiac arrest episode? She's or? just having a strong or something. A strong. Is, 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 is there like a? Is it? Isn't there like a term for like uh, in religion where you have like uh, you know a godly experience and it's kind of like a like a non sexual orgasm? You know, like a like a soul gasm, like enlightenment in some yeah, ways. Like, yeah, like yeah. yeah, like nirvana. Like yeah, you know? yep. I mean, Nirvana's a Buddhist term, I think, isn't it? I think that's yeah, but I don't know what the Christian equivalent would be. I think soulgasm is pretty close. <laughs> soulgasm, <laughs> yeah. God. Uh, <laughs> Kelly said she felt like quote a high speed dr- data transmission was being poured into my head. Afterwards, <laughs> that's afterwards, definitely a stroke. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Afterwards, she felt like God had answered her prayer and shown her quote a small taste of His power. <laughs> mm. <laughs> When she came out of the room, Andrew was concerned about how she looked. And after she explained what happened in the back bedroom, he said he had seen a flash of light fill the night sky from horizon to horizon, but there was no thunder or lightning. So, through his divine intervention, the left side of her body is now numb. Well, if that's that's true, then- Ask and you shall receive. There's obviously going to be a great deal of corroborating evidence, you know, from other- citizens so yeah um, so yeah i mean it, it is getting interesting now We've yeah got a, a flash in the sky yeah, when a, a flash oh. across the night sky there's got to be thousands of, of you, eyewitness accounts you guys got no idea where this is going this is great i love it you, you, i don't think you even have heard of this one Colonel. i don't think so yeah no. about three weeks later on august 7 1993 kelly emerged from her retreat so she and andrew could go to a friend's house near the dandenong ranges in melbourne's far east for a birthday party it was about a 90-minute drive that passed through Warren and Belgrave, which are now part of Melbourne's outer eastern suburbs, but back then were effectively small rural towns. Nazawaza. Nazawaza. Mm. Represent Nazawaza. Shout out to my missus from Nazawaza. <laughs> <laughs> uh, around dusk, their car headed north along the Belgrave-Hallam Road, a tree-lined road passing between two wide-open paddocks. I don't think they're paddocks anymore. I can't, I can't remember. I know I've been down this way. Um, through a gap in the trees on the outskirts of Belgrave South, Kelly saw something strange about 200 or 300 metres back from the road that was the length of about three cars. Quote, I saw a row of five or six orange lights in the paddock, unusual lights that were produced by an object on the ground. A fluorescent mist surrounded them and they weren't natural. That was instantly obvious. It was low on the ground and the lights were large. It had a distinct circular shape and the outside was rimmed with lights. Oh, goodness. Uh, Here we go. The natural steer into alien yeah. territory. Yeah, the, the Australian <laughs> UFO story oh, is, yeah. is a, uh, it, it's a, it's a funny sort of phenomenon. Well, they say that like the any paranormal investigation is just like NASCAR in terms of you're always going to turn left into UFO yeah. alien sort of <laughs> yeah. stuff eventually, yeah. and just keep turning left. This, <laughs> this is the whole "it must be aliens" thing. Yeah. Just yeah, NASCAR of investigation. That's great. I haven't heard that before. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly said she saw the object for only two or three seconds before her view was completely obscured by trees. She then began to pray. After a few minutes, she told Andrew what she had seen, and he was dismissive. 
When they arrived at the party, Andrew told the party goers Kelly thought she'd seen a UFO and everyone laughed. Kelly eventually joined in the laughter. Mm, that's good. Can have a laugh at yeah, herself. Like, yeah, laugh at yourself. It like, feel, feels vaguely like bullying for a second there, but if you join mm. in, it's not bullying. Well, She's stewing underneath though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> imagine <laughs> imagine a, a, a situation, tonight, you know, where you've gotten out of your car or whatever and you've seen, like, you've seen something weird in the sky that can't be a plane, a satellite. Well, it's on the ground. It's on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I'm just saying hypothetically, like, how do you tell anyone who that wasn't with you what you just saw? Like- like it's it's gonna be a funny conversation. You gotta laugh at yourself. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think we've talked about this a couple of times in terms of if you did see something weird, would you actually talk about it? I think you'd have to be. I I I've thought about this before, and I thought the only person that I would tell is Matt. Well, <laughs> not even me. You're well, the, yeah, I pro- yeah, I, I probably tell, tell, tell you as well, but uh, I want to check Brady, it with- Brady's sad now. Yeah, this is my house. <laughs> I just feel like, you know, he, he's the most cynical, like, of-, of Yeah. And if I could convince him that I had seen something or experienced something- But what then- if I was, like, the first call as, like, a confidence boost? Because I would- Hi, Brady, ultimate- could you put Matt on the phone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But- <laughs> I would, I would ultimately laugh, you know, and believe you probably. <laughs> it would make for a stronger argument if the two of us were then going to. to Thank you. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Strategy. Uh, scratch you. I'm, 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 I'm calling yes. Brady. <laughs> Done deal. All right. Good. I'm glad we've covered that. Hey, then. Brady, I've just seen a whole shitload of UFOs, man. <laughs> You're going to get calls like every yeah. day now. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I'm down. Later that night, around midnight, Kelly and Andrew headed home along the same route. They were heading south near the Umemering Creek, about 15 kilometres away from where Kelly had seen the first object, when something strange appeared in the sky over the road ahead, quote, hovering at about twice the height of the trees. She instantly recognised it as the same object from before. Right, dun, so, dun, dun. so let's just do a bit of a recap. She's, she's copped a download of, of information and a flash across the sky. Mm-hmm. She's then witnessed something in on the ground. Yep, like out in a paddock. Yep, and then she's witnessed the same thing again in the sky hovering above the trees yep. on her way home. With Several it. hours later, yep. Mm. Okay. Mm. Quote, I could see that the orange lights were really windows because they seemed to have a glassy appearance and I could make out figures standing behind the portals. The figures were silhouetted in a contrast of black shadow against orange light. Just up against the glass doing, like, the blowfish. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just rubbing one nipple against the glass. Like, is it Cable Guy? Hello, human. <laughs> this time, Andrew saw it too. And as they drove, they watched it for close to a minute before it flew off to the east at incredible speed. They discussed what they had seen. But as they approached Narriwarren North, there was, quote, a huge bright white light in the middle of the road up ahead. They continued to drive towards it. Well, the, the descriptions are consistent. No, mm. that, that helps your story. How do you mean consistent? What, consistent well, with other sightings? No, or? no, no, no. Like consistent in themselves. So, she's described, you know, a flash of white light. Mm. She's, uh, you know, said that she's seen the craft twice. Then she's described the same flash of light again. You know, she's not mixing it up too much. not throwing in too much spice. Just yep. enough to keep it believable. Okay. Mm. All right. <laughs> then, just as suddenly as it appeared, the white light was gone. The car had decelerated down from 100 kilometers an hour to 40 kilometers an hour, and they were further along the road than they had thought they were. Kelly said it felt like time had jumped, like a scene had been cut from a film, like she'd had a blackout. Quote, weren't we going to see a UFO, Andrew? She asked. I think so, he replied. They both felt sluggish, confused, and disorientated, but Andrew quickly dismissed it all. They must have turned some corners and lost sight of the object. It, It was late. They continued driving and soon after they noticed the smell of vomit in the car and Kelly began to feel a dull ache in her body. Andrew said he felt the same thing. What the fuck? As if you just dismissed that. Like, um, I'm pretty sure time to skip forward a little bit. It sounds like carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> that's, that's actually uh, not a bad suggestion there, but yeah. yeah. But, I, but I don't know, you can kind of like sort of vague out where you're driving and then realise... You've been on autopilot and you're like- That is a scary- that, that, that is a scary realisation. When you've been like driving your car and 
you know, maybe you're just thinking about something or running an idea over in your head. Yeah, like you're on your way to work or something, and you're thinking yeah. about all the things you got to do that day or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you like pull you realize that yeah, you're like, that, Fuck, that you've made like three or four turns or whatever, and you haven't. You know, I mean, you're on autopilot. Like, yeah. it is a scary realization when when you have when you have that and go, oh fuck, that's mm. right, I'm driving a car. Yeah. When they arrived home, Callie realized their 90 minute drive had taken three hours. They began to argue about what time they left the party and what they had seen. Andrew again was dismissive, saying that they'd left later than Callie thought and that maybe she had blacked out or had a fit. Callie gave up on the fight and went to get ready for bed. It was then that she noticed that she had been bleeding from her vagina, despite it not being her time of the month, and she had a strange mark beneath her belly button. Quote, it was a perfect little equilateral triangle, angry red with sharp lines. It looked like it had been burned into me, although the first few layers of the skin had been removed. It measured about a centimetre on each side. Right, okay. So, we're, we're just, we're fully into experiencer um territory here. Oh yeah, we are, boy. And wow. you know, it, the the weird thing that about, you know, people who say that they have, you know, the encounter of the first kind is, mm-hmm. is that what it's it is when when you're actually with when you get entity, abducted is an is an abductee is a first a close encounter of the first kind. I can't remember kind, what yeah. the scale is like it, the close encounter of the third kind is that like Touching an alien or being right next to an alien, or is that, or is it the first kind? Is that? I don't know. They I, didn't I, specify it in the movie. The movie was kind of vague. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just remember the creepy kind of music. Yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Boom. <laughs> I just remember the uh, the mashed potato mountain. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I need to go back and rewatch that. <laughs> Why is it that you know whenever whenever aliens kidnap people, they want to like. You know, they basically like sexually molest it's them. It's always or, sex like, stuff. Yeah, like, is is this a sex thing, or is this a, a side effect of an intrusive surgery? So, like a keyhole surgery. And this is why she's got this mark. And so they go in and they're just like poking around in there, and that's caused damage. Yeah, mm. but uh, it's not necessarily like anal probe kind of territory what, that, that people associate would, with encounters. What, what, like, why would a you know advanced technology, you know, civilization? need to do such a such a, a barbaric experiment to be able to like surely they've got the ability to, to you know uh, <laughs> travel, travel from one side and speed yeah. why are they just like cutting people open and and like, but i mean they it, you know they've got scanners and all that sort of stuff in sci-fi movies think about any time that we discover a new species or whatever like i think a lot of the time we'd probably go for like a some kind of euthanize, euthanize, and then just cut them open, splay everything out on a surgery table. At least she came back from it. Like- <laughs> yeah, but I think what Colonel's saying is that um, surely, if they had the capability to travel faster than light speeds across the universe, they should have a, a, a type of surgery that is l- less intrusive. Like they'd be or, able to just scan or, them and look inside. Or, yeah, but, yeah, like well, you. Okay, so, so I'm not agreeing p- with you, but I'm just saying part of like yeah. conducting scientific experiments and observing stuff is that you don't involve yourself in that observation because it affects the subject, right? Yeah, so, but, but if you're capturing like wild creatures and then want to know how they tick, you're going to yeah. dig in there a bit. Yes, but it's you don't. You don't want yeah. that wild creature going away from the experience and going. Well, I think I got had surgery done on me by an alien like you want to make it so they don't know or understand that well right? maybe that the world there's all, a lot of abductees talk about missing time like we've got here and that's supposed to maybe yeah. that covers the whole experience of it and then just later like oh i've just got a, a i must have scratched myself or something you know in a perfect triangle in a perfect triangle <laughs> <laughs> kelly went to bed and had an incredibly vivid dream when she awoke she recorded it in her journal quote in the dream, it was night and I was sitting on the side of a field. My head was between my legs because I was feeling sick. I felt as if I'd been unconscious and that I'd just woken up. I could see a craft in a field. I also saw several creatures and one was leading my husband off by the hand. They were definitely not human. They shone with a silvery glow. Their limbs were long and lanky, almost anorexic in appearance. So... This is like the classic grey man kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. It's- this is ticking a lot of uh, abduction tropes, I will say. Yeah. 
In her dream, Kelly got to her feet and charged the creature holding her husband's hand, which Kelly inexplicably understood to be female. But as she grabbed the being and screamed at it to leave Andrew alone, she lost consciousness. She then came to about 200 metres away and standing over a body that appeared not human at first, but slowly morphed into a human. A chubby middle-aged woman was running toward her across the field, screaming, Murderous! Murderous! (laughs) What? Wow. This is, yeah, it's like any time you sit down and try and tell someone about your dream and you think it's like this revelation, you know, Mm. like uh, this incredibly, and the only thing I can think about when you're telling me about your dream is just shut up. (laughs) I don't want to. I feel bad for mentioning a dream I had this morning, but at least I only took like five seconds to explain it. Yeah, no, no, people's dreams are just rubbish. Yeah, you should never tell someone else your dream in any kind of detail. It's just the most boring thing. Yeah. That's, that is a terrible thing. I'm going to be, I'm going to be on the other side of this. It's a social (laughs) social (laughs) Tell everyone what your dreams are. I don't care. (laughs) Share. Especially if they involve me in visions of my death. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let me tell you about this dream I had, actually. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) See, I want to know about that shit. (laughs) Kelly then found herself in a small room where a male voice offered her a choice. She could come with us, but she would have to leave her Bible behind. She chose her Bible and then she woke up. Oh, of course. Mm. But by the next day, the sighting of the UFO had vanished from her mind. In the weeks that followed, Kelly continued- How did she know that? Because she wrote it down in her journal. That the sighting of the UFO had vanished from her mind. Well, that she had then for- forgotten about it. So, she wrote it in her journal and then the next day from then, she just had no memory of right. it Right, okay, yeah. And then, so then if she remembers it later, she's able to go back and see the journal or the memories come back to her and she goes, oh, I had forgotten that. Yeah, so, yeah. Wow. In the weeks that followed, Kelly continued to bleed lightly from her vagina. She lost 10 kilos, became sensitive to noises and light and suffered migraines and abdominal pain. Andrew and Kelly fought regularly. After a, about a month after their sighting, Andrew left and Kelly finally went to see a doctor. Their diagnosis was a uterine infection, a type usually caused by either a miscarriage or an infection from recent surgery, according to Kelly. She spent time in hospital and recovered, but still suffered headaches and light sensitivity. Andrew returned to the family home after some time away. Hmm. Odd. Peculiar On is sept- a word that I want to say because it, it's cool. <laughs> on September 6, about one month after the incident at Umemorine Creek, Kelly had a dream in which she was visited by a tall hooded being with dull red eyes and a skeletal face devoid of features. Stop telling me about your dream. <laughs> we've, got, we've got red eye, glowing red eyes again. They're, it's always good when we have those. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and like, since when is a dream evidence? Like, it's- We'll, we'll get there. Dreams are not evidence. Dreams mm. are dreams. Dreams are, you know, the subconscious no, filing then. things away from the day. Yeah, well, uh, look, I, as far as I understand, science doesn't really understand the purpose or function of dreams that well. Right? Or even sleep that well, really. Yeah, mm. like, it's kind of hard so to- So, sleep doesn't exist. <laughs> it's not good evidence. Well, sleep like, is not evidence. Yeah, I mean- Sleep <laughs> is not evidence. Yeah, science doesn't understand Do it, so why break? the fuck should I believe it? <laughs> In the dream, she felt as if her life force was being drained from her chest before the being suddenly vanished. She referred to the being as a, quote, soul vampire or incubus. Yeah, that's the, the best place to draw someone's life energy is from the the spot in the chest where it, it comes out is easier. I thought you were going to say the best place to draw someone's life energy is from like a band from like 2000, 1999 in Incubus. <laughs> <laughs> Over the, that was a deep, deep reach yeah, there. That yeah. one. <laughs> Over the weeks that followed the visitation, strange things happened in the Cahill house. The TV turned itself on and off. The VCR played up. The fridge blew up. Light bulbs blew. The car started itself. And Kelly began getting electric shocks every time she touched the surface. These strange occurrences reportedly lasted for months. Mm. Once again, all things that can't be corroborated by anyone else. Well, they well they could be if other people would yeah. Well, There's a great opportunity for corroboration, is what you're saying. Well, yes, if, and no, if anyone like, came around to the house and saw some any of two of those things happening, well, if those things were happening to you, wouldn't you be like, I think I need to see a doctor? 
Like or an um, electrician? <laughs> Doctor, my fridge broke down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my no, car if, keeps starting. If, I, if I'm experiencing like Doctor. sudden and uh, like seemingly uh, electric shocks without cause, like wouldn't that be, you know, hey, maybe I should call a medical practitioner or- Doctor, I'm, sh- I'm having trouble with my VCR. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's like- and well, it's a physiological thing that she's describing, right? This is with right? zero research done, but I'm sure there's like someone out there in the world who just has some fucked up static electricity thing where they're like hyper, you know, getting static electric shocks. Of yeah, stuff. They're, they're super And heroes. I feel sorry for that person <laughs> because that would suck so bad. Isn't that kind of a superpower? You could just walk up to people and just like touch them and they Man, and zap them? At my, at my work, we have a coffee machine and like- I'm not sure whether it's the flooring to get there or the machine itself, but like if you touch it, like you get an electric shock, uh, like a static electric shock, and then you can sort of do your thing and you're fine. And I just hated it. Like every day you kind of, you know, it's going to happen and like, oh, it yeah. doesn't hurt, but like, I don't want to do it. Like, I was yeah. just about to, to agree with you and say like, there's nothing more conditioning than electricity. Like, yeah. uh, that in oh, uh, God. My, my car, oh. like when, whenever you like, I drive my car or my partner's car. I just have this like conductive thing. Where when I get out of it, I go to close the door. Yeah, yeah. It shocks me nearly every time. And now I'm conditioned to like whenever I get out, like I'm really careful about how I touch it. And, totally. And and doesn't matter how careful you are, as soon as you touch it, you get shocked. You're like, God damn you! Like, so there's two experiences. Imagine if that was all day. Yeah, so it's got to be- Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) If static shocks occur, please see your doctor. But constantly, you'd just be a mess. Like yeah. mentally, you'd be a mess. It's like, you know, the, you know, the guy that, that never stopped hiccuping, you know, it was like, oh, kill, yeah. me. Kill, kill me, me. <laughs> kill me. <laughs> mm. 10 days after the visitation in her dream, Kelly and Andrew visited friends and somehow the topic of conversation got onto UFOs. During the conversation, Andrew described what he and Kelly had seen while driving home through Narriwarren North five weeks earlier. Kelly was shocked. She had no recollection of what Andrew was talking about. Well, I can just say that, can't I? Because I'm the one telling the story. Like, oh, I didn't have any recollection of that. Like, Just to be a jerk. But on October 1, she and Andrew were driving on the Belgrave Hallam Road again when it all came flooding back to her, including some of the missing time between seeing the light and then smelling the vomit. With the help of hypnotherapy over the next couple of years, Kelly was able to piece together most of what happened during that missing time on August the 7th, 1993. The bright light they had seen was from a huge craft sitting in a paddock to their right. It was as big as an Olympic pool and two stories high. At Kelly's urging, Andrew stopped the car and turned off the headlights. They both got out, with Kelly grabbing her handbag. As they stood at the back of their car looking toward the craft, they realised there was another car further down the road behind them. There were another two people standing near that car, staring out into the field. Suddenly, from nowhere, a tall, thin, dark figure appeared in front of the craft, just over- Slender man. Just over 100 (laughs) metres away. It began to approach Kelly and Andrew slowly. Then Kelly heard a telepathic voice in her sa- in her head say, "Let's kill them." What? what? The couple were hit by a kind of energy force that held them to the spot. Kelly described it as like standing in front of a speaker at a rock concert and feeling the bass. She said the pulsating force filled her with absolute terror. Then more think more beings appeared, about seven or eight. Now Kelly could see their red eyes. She screamed at Andrew. They've got no souls. They're evil. They're going to kill us. <laughs> then the beings charged. Oh, my God. What uh, a trip. <laughs> I, got, I got the hair standing up thing again on me. Yeah. I got goosebumps. You know, at, at this point, it's going to be interesting to see how she fights off eight, you know, highly advanced, uh, soulless, red-eyed What's about it's going to be like signs, though. You know, how like they're- these they're pretty pretty overpowered kind of aliens and what kills them is like water contact with water <laughs> god damn this planet <laughs> yeah. uh, this kryptonite. is a terrible idea uh, kryptonite my only kryptonite 
Hovering inches above the ground, the beings sped across the paddock faster than humans could run. Then they split into two groups, one group heading towards Kelly and Andrew, and the other group heading toward the two people standing near the car further down the road. Soon the beings were in front of them, and Kelly, quote, felt a tremendous blow to my stomach right in the solar plexus, but it was an energy force rather than a punch with a fist. Kelly went flying through the air and landed in the grass, blinded and winded, barely able to breathe. Kelly and Andrew screamed at the beings. One of them told Kelly that it was her father, but she doesn't remember much else beyond that except screaming at them that they were evil and left for them to go back where they came from. Hmm. And randomly, I am your father. That's just dropped in there in the middle, out of nowhere. How funny is yeah, it? Yeah, like- I, I, I kind of went, did that? Did I just hear that? Um, yeah. Just in the, um, the global, like, you know, universe political kind of area, like where the backwards planet that like go back to where you came from. <laughs> yeah, fuck off, we're full. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think that father thing is terribly relevant to the rest of the story, but it is. It was a, a bit that she mentioned in her book, and it was just in there. And yeah, not yeah. much more is made of it. Months later, after her memory came back partially, Kelly tried to get in touch with a psychiatrist or a psychologist who'd be able to help to understand what had happened, but to no avail. Eventually, someone directed her to the Civil Aviation Authority, who in turn passed her on to a UFO research group based in Melbourne, and then a man in Sydney named Bill Chalker. Chalker was a well-credentialed, or sorry, is, he still around, is a well-credentialed UFO researcher who had been- Well-credentialed UFO researcher. I stand by that line I just wrote. Yeah. (laughs) Who had been involved with the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, or APRO, and had been the New South Wales representative for the Mutual UFO Network, which is a worldwide not-for-profit volunteer organization that studies UFO sightings. So, it sounds- MUFON. It sounds very prestigious- Mm-hmm. MUFON is in UFO circles is high, held in reasonably high yep. regard. Did yep. we have a weird memory, Colonel, of us going to a MUFON meeting in Melbourne in about 2000 or 1999? I don't know. I don't think that was with me. Uh, I've sh- never been to an alien UFO meeting. I am uh, sure. If I have, I've lost that time somehow. Mm. Almost like, you know, that memory has mm. been removed likely story possibly (laughs) (laughs) being being in sydney chalker handballed the case to john ocatel of phenomena research australia kelly rang john on october the 4th 1993 and told him part of her story ocatel's response was that her experience was not that uncommon they spoke on the phone several times before finally arranging to meet at the fountain gate shopping center where she laid out almost everything Ocatel assured her a proper investigation would begin, including chemical and electromagnetic assessments of the site. Wow. That was a UFO landing in the background. Yeah, <laughs> cleaning my dishes. Just, <laughs> just, two day, uh, just days later, Kelly had a second night visitation. This time, as she slept, she felt something pulling on her ankles. Whatever it was turned her around so her legs pointed over the side of the bed before holding her legs vertical in the air. She struggled to open her eyes. When she did, she was lying in bed normally. Kelly rolled over. Standing near the bed was a tall, thin, hooded figure. It was looking away from Kelly and stood there for a few seconds before it disappeared. Why do they have hoods on now? No, no. Probably it's to hide co- the fact that they're... Maybe it's cold human. out. I don't know. Well, oh yeah, it could be a bit chilly. It mm. sounds like oh, I'm just going to add this little detail in to make it seem more sinister. And well, I mean, it's probably just illustrating that you know they're they're not just walking around like, hey, I'm a fucking grey man. You know, not yeah, but not obscuring that fact at all. If like- you can control people's like memories and stuff, why are you going to the like trouble of wearing a hood? Because, like, robe. we can see great distances. Yeah. I have the eyes of a hawk. <laughs> tell you that much. Spot a hooded figure from a mile away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. 13 days later, a third visitation occurred. It happened while Kelly and Andrew were staying at a friend's house after a party. While laying in bed as she waited for Andrew to come to bed, Kelly heard a low, commanding male voice in her head saying, 
Go and have a look underneath the car. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Kelly ignored the voice and began to pray. We should have got a commanding male voice to do that bit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sick burn. We'll, 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 we'll drop it down a pitch. When, yeah, when, sorry, yeah, just, when yeah, yeah sorry, Doc. I'll put that in another lower octave. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly ignored the voice and began to pray. Eventually, she fell asleep, but awoke an hour and a half later to find a tall black creature leaning over her, its head near her stomach. This creature didn't have a cloak, and it was naked but devoid of genitals. It had a bulging belly, long limbs, and a misshapen, elongated head. Cloak on, cloak off, cloak on, cloak off, like... Maybe it's a different... Maybe there's a different being. There's costume changes. Maybe these haven't, like, got to the level of being able to wear a robe yet. Right. Like, uh, so, they're, like, up. your lower level initiates that yeah, have got like, to go out and do the initial, you know, yeah, physical like, contact. Like a white belt, you know. Mm. Yeah, like a white belt. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly screamed at the being, which leapt back in shock. The creature vanished, and Andrew awoke to see Kelly sitting up, sweating. Her screams had awakened him. The next day, as they drove home, there was a horrible clunking under the car. Andrew got out to check and found a flywheel cover hanging by a thread. A flywheel cover. Yeah, I don't, know what, I don't know what that is. It's, I think it's something to do with the transmission. Like a flywheel is like usually with the gearbox kind of thing. I'm pretty sure. You're not explaining it very well. <laughs> <laughs> so, I feel like- no, so, there's a, so you've I believe got everything he said. He said a, a gearbox kind of thing and I was there. You that may was have all failed here in your reporting because you know, that, that, that detail is kind of is important, right? Like what is no. that thing? Well, I think it's more important that there was something wrong under the car as opposed to what exactly was wrong under the car. It's the wheel that makes it fly. But if it, Exactly. If it, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Old mechanic colonel well, over here. No, I think, okay. Um, if, if I'm going to say that's, that some kind of damage to my car has been caused by an alien, then I want to know what- You that, want a full schematic description of that I want to know that what that part. damage was. Yeah but, I think, yeah, but you're focusing on the wrong thing. I think you should be focusing on the fact that an alien damaged their car as opposed to, yeah, but what's it going to cost to get it fixed? No, how did it damage the car? I don't know. Well, you should- you And she doesn't know either and it's not in her book. I Let can me, do you want to just look it up? <laughs> yes. What a yeah, flywheel yeah. is. Yes. See, Brady's doing proper journalism. Do we need to know this? We're Googling Yes, it. we do. <laughs> we do it. apparently now due to- uh, Flywheel car. <laughs> this is great podcast. This part. is um, a flywheel is a metal disc, not metal legs, <laughs> <laughs> that resembles a gear position between your clutch and the transmission. This part, along with the clutch, helps to provide power to and from the engine and the transmission. So, if the flywheel bla- breaks, basically, like it's fucked. I don't think you're moving anywhere. Right. So, and just potentially, if you're moving at speed then that's going to be a real problem. Okay, like, so- If so, breaks so still work, though. What, what she has no. described is just a regular yeah. problem with c- cars, right? It's just a regular- I don't know that that's that, that common, that your flywheel just- the Flywheel co- Or the cover, cover is yeah. hanging by- th- I don't know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, shit breaks all the time. Yeah, well, know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A few weeks later, John- o- I'm glad we cleared that up. Anyway. Yeah. A few weeks later, John- Were you pad for enough time yet? Do you want me to talk a little bit more? <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't think we're going to be short of time on this one. We're, we're only just getting started Let's Google here. something else. Yeah. A few weeks later, about, John Ocatel contacted Kelly with news. He and his fellow investigators had put inserts in newspapers in the wider area where the UFO sighting had occurred in an effort to find the people in the second car. And he just hit pay dirt. Among the 13 responses they'd received was a letter from two women named Jane and Glenda and a man named Bill who claimed to have been in the car behind Kelly and Andrews on August 7, 1993. Mm. So, do we all understand uh, what this means? Yes, that's corroborating but, yes. story, right? Wait, there was only two people. Uh, that, that Kelly and that Kelly people. saw. No, they got 13 responses, but yeah. among them was, yeah, so a bunch so, of people who exactly, were just yeah. playing so funny at bogus. at this point, it could be anyone. It doesn't necessarily ensure that- But, that, that I mean, in, the in terms of the story, though, there was like two other people standing in a car back from theirs, and there's three people. Yeah, so they, they, so they, Kelly didn't see a third person, but they're saying that, yeah, we were there, and that there was a third person in the car. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, this- we, we now have potentially corroborating independent mm. evidence, which is very rare in UFO sightings. Yep. Mm. Okay. 
They were all in their 30s and Callie had never met them. Indeed, she had, she'd only seen two people on the night, not the third. The man was a business manager and he had been in the car with his wife and her friend. They had some clear recollections of the night in question, but hypnosis was necessary to dig out further memories. The women and man didn't recall seeing Kelly or Andrew, but a lot of their recollections matched. They remembered stopping the car and crossing the road to look at a large craft and seeing numerous tall black beings. Better yet, their description of the craft and the beings matched Kelly's descriptions. Jane and Glenda remember a peaceful feeling and a humming sound before somehow being transported on board the ship. They telepathically communicated with each other while they were strapped to tables and medically examined. Jane and Glenda also claimed to have the small triangle-shaped scars on their bodies just near their navels, as well as other inexplicable marks, including three dots in a row on their inner thigh. According to the PRA, the Phenomena Research Association, the man with them had the same three dots. They also had marks around their ankles consistent with being tied down. If these witness statements were true, it made Kelly's case a very rare example of a UFO sighting with multiple independent witnesses. So, these triangles, that's probably something I'd get a photo of. Mmm. Is there photos? We'll get to that. Okay. These witnesses also said there was another car further behind them, but the driver of that car was unknown at that time. He had reportedly stayed in his car with the headlights on. Mm Mmm. That's the signal. (laughs) (coughs) No, thank you. (laughs) In January 1994, Callie had her fourth and final visitation. This time, it grabbed her hand, and when she woke up, the dark, cloaked being was standing next to her bed, looking away. Within a matter of seconds, it had vanished, and Callie never saw the beings again. Soon after, Callie attended a UFO abductee support group meeting while holidaying in Queensland. When back in Melbourne, a similar group started up and Callie became involved from their very first meeting. After that, Callie began collecting data on abductees and started doing the rounds on the UFO circuit. At some point, she and Andrew were divorced. Oh, no. Uh, At the point where your uh, partner becomes a crazy UFO, like, conference person, that's Mm. when you get divorced. Well, I mean... (laughs) You just need to ask Corey Good, though. There's good money in that shit. Yeah, true. Yeah. True. He's still going, by the way, Corey Good. Oh, and, gross. And- uh, Is he like, now tangled up with QAnon? Yeah. He, like, ate that up, like, biscuit and gravy, like, Ugh. full QAnon. Uh, was releasing, like, uh, QAnon drop breakdowns and all that stuff uh, through the lens of uh, what was he? Uh, Blue uh, Chicken yeah. Cult. Uh, uh, empath or like Oh that's right yeah. 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 It's just God. nuts. Yeah. What a flog. <laughs> By the end of 1997 Phenomena Research Australia was still yet to release their report into the incident although in her book Encounter published late in 1996 and featuring a foreword by John Ocatel Kelly said she had seen some of the details from the forthcoming report. The PRA researchers had apparently found magnetic anomalies in the paddock where the craft landed, and that ground had been, quote, baked under high pressure. There were also traces of sulfur and other chemicals that seemed out of place for the location. Many of her own drawings in the, Kelly's own drawings in the book are even copyrighted to the PRA. Hmm. In October 1997, Kelly appeared as a guest speaker at the Australian International UFO Symposium in Brisbane. In her introduction, she described her encounter as, quote, possibly the most credible case in Australian history so far, and what makes it so different to any other encounter is that it involved the testimonies of separate individual parties of witnesses who were unknown to each other. The incident has become known as the Umemmering Creek Encounter. Wow. Now, at that symposium, you can actually watch her presentation. It's on YouTube. Yeah. At that symposium, Kelly revealed that the driver of the third car had been found. It was a man, and Kelly claimed he had photographic evidence of the marks left on his body after the encounter. Hey. He had apparently come to light after an article in Who Weekly about the incident. (laughs) (laughs) So, Who Weekly, for anyone who doesn't know, is like supermarket, like- Sort of it's like magazine. a ta- it's like it's a, a national enquirer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 
Does it still exist? Does Hoot Weekly still exist? No, no. They died um, uh, when the internet came out because- uh, <laughs> Because no, they're not the internet. Because yeah, well, people, <laughs> people could fact check their stories more easily. And wasn't like Who Weekly like one of those magazines that always had like a bikini chick cover or- No, no they, were, they no. were a bit more like celeb heavy- yeah, um, you know, like paparazzi kind of stuff. Like you know, you'll never believe. Blah blah blah. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Brad and Jennifer have broken up again. Scandal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Trash. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the word. <laughs> Kelly described him as a local lawyer, but further interviews needed to be conducted with him by the PRA. A local lawyer. Mm. She also claimed to have had two subsequent UFO sightings in broad daylight since the Umemorin Creek encounter. Of course, yeah. You've got to top it up every couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Add a few. So, you're still connected to the, the, the yeah. alien force. Well, you've got to have some new material every time you go on exactly, the road. Exactly, yeah. You know? mm. yeah. It's like have the, a new, the new Rocky, album. Rocky Four kind of like, yeah, we're coming back. Yeah, we're doing now, it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm letting everybody know today that I'm going to divulge my latest encounter yeah, uh, yeah like that's literally how it's presented at those conferences mm. but in rocky the- four is a good movie though so <laughs> <laughs> maybe this will be a good one i'm actually pretty keen but in the late 1990s kelly disappeared from the public eye copies of her book are long out of print and sell secondhand for more than 150 dollars wow. online i have a copy oh, that, I, that i bought in the early 2000s or late 90s i reckon even it was Right um, and just secondhand in a bookshop and I was just collecting paranormal books mm. at the time and so that's and I just happened to was looking for stuff on, on my bookshelf and I found this book again and I was like oh what this and I started reading it I was like Nary Warren honey yeah. come here look at this <laughs> <laughs> and yeah and so then when I was reading about it and I started like googling stuff outside of the book and then I, I found it kept popping up it's like oh Copy for sale for two hundred dollars. Copy for one hundred fifty bucks. I'm like, sweet, I'm putting this in the vault. That's yeah. insane. <laughs> so, when I interviewed Bill Chalker, he told me that Kelly contacted him in the early two thousands and you, handed over. You interviewed Bill. I interviewed Bill. The big Chalk. This is um, you were teasing us with like a most read ABC. This, article. This, this is, is the, my most read ABC guy. article. Yeah. yeah, you can read it like a shorter version of, of this on yep. the ABC website. Yep. Look at Matt's typings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he typed one finger types too. <laughs> <laughs> Took so long to write all these podcasts. <laughs> also, I can't spell. So, you know. Uh, so, when I interviewed Bill Chalker, he told me Kelly contacted him in the early 2000s and handed over three large archival boxes containing all her case files on her encounter. After that, she left the country. Quote, she got a little bit fed up with being the only high profile person involved in this, Chalker said. Quote, she was the only one that stepped forward. Ultimately, Kelly got pretty frustrated with the fact that there were potentially a few other independent witnesses and it seemed that those parties had got in touch with the PRA, but for whatever reasons, they wouldn't get in touch with Kelly. Quote, she left Australia and got into a new relationship. She really wanted to take a low profile and put all this behind her. She spent a lot of time trying to raise the profile of this episode and wanted to have the others come out as well. When it ultimately became pretty clear that she was the only was going to be the only one that was going to go public on this. That's when she felt less confident about being the constant contact point on this case, particularly when it seemed the organization that did most of the primary field work in Victoria didn't back her up in terms of having the availability of all the case material that went with it. So she's just like pissed off because there are, UFO research group that aren't like funded up the wazoo. And well, no, like- they, they they haven't released their information. That they've done this study oh. and they've spoken to all the other witnesses and they haven't released it. It's because they're holding on to like a book deal or like a film deal or something like. This that. is a long time to be holding on for. This is we're still we're up to like they were doing they were still working on their report in 1997. Yeah, I, I like- maybe they're just incompetent. Exactly, they're they're just they're just average dudes sitting in a in a lounge room. Yeah, like, probably got like other like actual jobs. Yeah, like like this is in between stuff. But on the other hand, if you were as nuts, you know, as interested in something to sign up for like a volunteer research group that like 
does all the man hours and stuff. And you've this- got to have a certain level of commitment, don't you? Well, um, no, but I mean, this case specifically is like, you know, it's kind of touting yeah. itself, admittedly. Yeah, <laughs> it's if, like the know, most credible. If you are involved in a group like this to research this kind of stuff, this is your holy grail case. Yeah, if you yeah. can't handle this case, then you have no purpose doing whatever you're doing. If you- <laughs> What have we turned into a chewing out some Victorian UFO yeah, <laughs> research oh. group? <laughs> Wait, there's more. There's more. Huh? <laughs> Kelly eventually returned to Australia and is back living in Gippsland in the Latrobe Valley under a different name. She didn't respond to my request for an interview. Oh. In- 2016, in the first episode of the revival of the X-Files, reference is made to the Kelly Cahill case when Fox Mulder uses the case as a test for another character to prove his knowledge and credentials as a UFO researcher. Right. Can you believe it? Um, God, I mean, it's, again, another good story. Um, a lot of corroborate corroboration from independent people who don't know each other jesus this is probably the closest like the closest i've been to saying yes um without actually saying yes on the face of it without me reading the bit at the end of it yeah that like it actually trips me up yeah yeah you could uh it presents itself really well yeah yeah look because i'm a part of this podcast i know like what happens from, <laughs> from here. Um, but I can't say that I was that. I don't think I knew about this this particular case. I've never heard of heard of this before. Um, I know there are like a few like Australian, you know, kind of the Australian Roswell, you know, where there was you know multiple people had sighted a UFO. I think there was one in a school in New South Wales at one point or Queensland. I can't remember. Um, but this case. Um, yeah, I haven't I haven't come across this before. Having said that, I think it's a case of a group of people getting together and forming a story and saying that that's what has happened. That's uh, yeah. the, the, the 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 most logical explanation is usually the the right one. There's no evidence to suggest that UFOs are real. I I, mm. I have said before that I think they probably are, but. You know, there's more evidence to, to suggest that humans get together and invent a story than there mm, is. Yeah, that, totally. Uh, yeah. Something is visiting from another planet. So yeah. I would say no. I don't. Be- I don't believe this story. Basically, only from the fact that I haven't seen any of the evidence. There's been yeah. no photos yet. There's been you know, haven't shown us anything to actually make me go, well, that's legit. So my the thing that sort of stops me from going like hard hard no like this is is the fact that even if there there is a group of people that have got together and sort of like created this story or whatever kelly is it mm-hmm. yeah. she is in such a prime spot to be doing the ufo conference thing and like actually earning a decent money from this and that seems to be the main reason why people would do something like this in terms of like there's a financial gain or like you know, 15 sort of minutes of fame or something like that. But, I mean, probably testament. Like, we've not heard about it. Uh, yeah, and, and I think, like, it sounds like she started to do that kind of thing and then went, oh, fuck, I don't want this. I don't want people calling me nonstop and asking me about something that happened 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Every single day. Because there would be. Like, you imagine all those crazy nuts out there that are oh. working on their own... UFO book that's going to yeah. break open the case, you know, like there's a billion people writing that, you know. Mm. Um, and so they're con- they'd be constantly but calling. But it's, it's not even the, the UFO, like the people who actually believe in UFOs and stuff. It's probably more so mainstream media that are like ringing her and like trying to trip her up at any moment, like in terms of- Well, it of could be that. It could be casting the UFO doubt, people. Like, it would be skeptics. Yeah. It would be trolls. It would yeah. be- you know, there would be a lot of people <clears throat> God, be- humans being like one of the terrible. only <laughs> prominent cases in Australia. It would garner more attention yep. than say. So this got a lot of publicity at the time. So, um, so what did it happen? 1993 and a book came out in 96. And so when the book came out, Kelly 
went hard on publicity and there was it was on channel seven it was on like unsolved mysteries it was in who who weekly it was in the herald sun it was in it was all over the place uh and it gained a lot of prominence and then and she hit the ufo circuit around this time and she milked it for you know two or three years and did really well out of it i think but then according to bill chalker she got sick of being the the focal point of the attention night because none of the other people had come forward. Yeah. So I think she did do that for a while, and then and if that's true, she got jack of it. Yeah. But you know, I don't think the I don't know if the UFO circuit is as big as it as it was then. I feel like that was a peak time. You know, we're like we're talking like, and a lot of this comes down to the influence of the X Files. I think, but that was that really drew attention to that scene, and I think it actually. It peaked somewhere around the the late nineties. Yeah, well, like the X Files was a shot in the arm for and it's UFOs also, and stuff. But it's then, early days of the internet too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just about was to thinking. say the internet would have been the next shot in the arm um, to come along. It, after it helped this scene for a certain amount of time until then it became um, kind of a thorn in its side because you know the evidence didn't start presenting and you know it was easy to share videos and. and photos of things and yeah. that didn't start and happening probably you more know? importantly like manipulate sort oh, yeah. of stuff like you know, yeah it's the it's the thing of well all of a sudden we don't we don't see as many ufo photos anymore despite the fact that people walk around with a camera in their pocket yeah so the internet kind of became the bane of these groups to a little bit beyond just you know when it was just their message boards and a way to connect and everything and talk about last night's x-files episode it gave the ufo uh, scene like a yeah a real shot in the arm and Kelly Cahill was there for probably peak UFO which I would say is the mid to late nineties yeah 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 so all right to the end bit now mm. phenomena research Australia never released their report they still haven't to this day Bill Chalker rude handballing the investigation to PRA describing it on his blog in 2016 as quote an extraordinary lost opportunity. Quote, it was frustrating that such a promising case was caught up in a situation where the group involved chose not to make their data available, Chalker wrote. PRA specified witness problems and legal hassles as the key contributing factors that stopped their report emerging. They claimed that forced changes made the proposed end document unworkable. Forced changes from who? From the witnesses. And then legal hassles. Fucking what? legal hassles. Jesus. So the witnesses wanted to change their stories? Yeah, we'll keep, I'll keep going. In a report in 2002, Chalker wrote that, quote, while Ocatel and PRA may well have been thorough in their investigation, in reality, there has been no way to absolutely verify this because of their unwillingness to release their report and data on the case. PRA have offered some seemingly unusual and convoluted explanations for this lack of, share, of sharing. When I interviewed Bill Chalker 27 years on from the sighting, he was still bitter about the incident, saying, quote, he made a mistake in terms of who I referred it to. Chalker said PRA claimed at one point that Kelly and Andrew had threatened legal action if their real names were used in the PRA report, despite Kelly publishing a book with her own name attached and referencing oh, PRA. God. Andrew in particular was furious about the whole thing reportedly. A second version of the report was drafted according to Chalker, but this was apparently short-circuited when, quote, allegedly the trio in car two had signed a deal with a German magazine interest who were now claiming copyright on all material related to the story. Oh, what? Now, as far as Chalker and other researchers, including myself, could tell, no German magazine ran any exclusive story on the experiences of the occupants of car two. Nor did the occupants of car two ever come out with their own story. In fact, despite there being six witnesses, Kelly, Andrew, Glenda and Jane, although sometimes called Jill in some reports, Bill in the other car, and the unnamed man in the third car, Kelly is the only one to have come forward. Yeah, there her we go. Her ex-husband has never corroborated her story. Mm. While Chalker says he believes Kelly, when he offered to use his skills as a chemist to Ocatel to analyse some evidence the PRA had apparently found, Ocatel refused to share it. There is no photographic evidence of Kelly's triangular scar. Kelly claims Andrew refused to let Ocatel take a photo of it, but that Andrew and a friend named Anne could vouch that they had been there and seen it before it faded, although neither have done so outside of Kelly's book. 
Because none of the other witnesses ever came forward and the report into the incident was never released, nor was its supposed evidence seen by anyone else, the Umemering Creek encounters standing in UFO circles has greatly diminished. As one Reddit user put it, quote, I used to think this was the holy grail case of encounter reports. I no longer hold that opinion. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly what I said. It's just a group of people making up a story and claiming that there's cooperation. Well, not, a, not even a group. I think it's just one person. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it might be just one person. It might be one person. And if there were other people, they have just jumped on a bandwagon and got, I'm going to add my bit to this story. Well, yeah, it, seems like, weird- it seems like the people yeah. involved in the investigation and Kelly herself, like Kelly and Andrew... Uh, basically just made up this story. I don't think Andrew has made up the story. I don't think Andrew's got anything to do with this. Okay, right, right. I think he's kind of gone, nah, man, and walked away from it all. God, why? The the message, today's message, kids, is why the fuck do people lie so much? (laughs) Like, it's just... Yeah. Just grow up, everyone. It It is is a... in, In this particular case, I feel like it's one of those, like, cry for helps or, like... Uh, I, I want the spotlight on me. I, I, I just, you know, it's got to, it's got to be that attention seeking kind uh, of thing. Because what else is is there? I mean, the money. She tried that. She made yeah. a little bit or whatever. But you know, it's just, just stop lying. <laughs> Tell the fucking truth. Like, I'm, uh, I'm gonna be careful how I say this, but uh, I'm not saying this is the case in this particular instance. But there's possibly. With some UFO encounters where people really, really believe that there's some kind of mental I- issue going on. There's some kind of delusion or uh, they've had some kind of episode or and they just become they or they just even have a really vivid dream. And then they latch onto it and they think that it, that that is what actually yeah. happened. Yeah. Now, an- another point I was going to make, too, is in several instances during this story, she describes having like an entity uh, like sitting her, on her but, or yeah. visiting her in her bed. So that's like a, a well-known um, uh, symptom of uh, night terrors and and sleep paralysis. paralysis yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it is consistent with that medical condition. So I also interviewed John Ocatel from the PRA. Wow. Oh. And remarkably, 27 years on from the event, he said it was possible the PRA's report might still come out, but not anytime soon. The- <laughs> quote, quote. He's just putting the finishing changes on it. It's only going to be another seven years. Yeah, yeah. We're in the third draft. Quote, the, the case is so good, Mr. Ocatel said. What? Our report is worthy of release, but we won't release it now because once we release our report, then we become the focus of the case. Our idea was we would release the report and then bring the witnesses out. At the moment, we don't know where they are. So, if we release anything, all the focus is going to be on us. We'll get hammered. (laughs) What? It's basically just saying we have nothing but an awesome report that you'll never get to see. It is just the worst excuse ever. Yeah. Or probably more to the point, we would release it, but we can't scapegoat any of the witnesses because we don't know where they are. No, No, to go, we're a group that- has de- that dedicates ourselves to investigating this phenomena, and we have this great report, but we're not going to release it because we don't want attention on ourselves. Yeah, that is bollocks. Like, it is, what? It, yeah. How does that it's help ridiculous. your cause at Again, all? Lying. What? Like that means that? <laughs> Did you laugh? Like, like when? when I, 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 I would have found it really difficult to not laugh in the guy's. I face. was incredulous throughout this interview, and I asked him several times, like. You know why don't you release the report? Like, and he he said, "Oh, we we could get sued." I'm like, "How can you get sued? Like, if even if you redacted all the names and released it, it would still be the holy grail case that you've yeah. been looking for." Yeah. And he's like, "Oh no, we couldn't do that." Like, why? And he just it, it just well, look, there's all these legal issues. No, no, I have dealt with legal issues from publishing things for 20 years. This is not going- I could easily see a way you could publish this without getting sued. Yeah. yeah. Like, why can you not just put it out there? Anyway, he said the original 300-page report was whittled down to an unusable 100 pages or so when the witnesses, including Ms. Cahill and her ex-husband, began to ask for information to be taken out and refused to allow the publication of medical and psychological reports they claimed backed up their stories. So, I don't know. 
Mr. Ocatel also said that when Ms. Kale went to the media and other UFO groups in early 1994, it further muddied the case. Quote, so if we can kill the report, then the whole case falls apart. So we said it's better to just let it go and hold the case. So just to clarify, if there is proof of this encounter and it is the holy grail of UFO sightings, then the truth of it is being suppressed, but not by a shadowy government organization, but by a UFO research group who refuses to release its own information. Oh, God. Mm. What the... John, How frustrating. Uh, John, if you're out there and, and you are listening to this podcast, uh, just think about how silly we just made you look. Now, <laughs> Bill Shawker interviewed, when I yeah, interviewed him and I mentioned, look, this part, part of your interview is going to be used for a podcast. And I said, I told uh, John I could tell the same thing. Um, uh, then Bill went off and listened <laughs> to part of one of our uh, podcasts and was very concerned that we would take the piss out of him. No, uh, not and the all. case, but we, that that is not the case. We are trying to analyze yeah. this uh, as genuinely as possible, and I think we're actually on, in Bill's Bill Chalker's corner here. The same thing that if there yeah. if there is a report and there is evidence of this, then it should be released. Absolutely, yes. yeah. yeah. And yeah. the fact that the PRA hasn't, and twenty seven years on, still isn't any closer to releasing it is just ridiculous. It, it makes your entire organization and all the time that you put into. Oh, I'm assuming a lot of time put into doing this just seem absolutely superfluous and useless yeah. and what are you, what are you what are you doing researching things if you have a cracking case and then don't release it yeah and it is so easy to release a report with redacted stuff it makes you look really silly and uh, it makes your organization just non-existent basically i think um in terms of like everyone who's been mentioned on this podcast bill has got the golden run he's he's like, good yeah yeah he's good. he's good he's a he's an og he's a hungry yeah. man <laughs> we're, on, we're on bill's side <laughs> yeah, yeah um but yeah god this is just so frustrating like look that yeah there's the mental illness thing and like sleep paralysis and all that but like there's just there is definitely just dishonesty I, yeah, I to, feel like to a fair degree the reality like, is that, that this report hasn't been released is because the evidence is shit yeah the, the evidence that's exactly why the, the and, they don't, aren't there. Uh, and they know it too and that's why they don't want to release the report the, mm. the, their other witnesses aren't credible like that um or they don't even exist even, or they're, they're pranksters. I think all of these things have yeah. come together. Kelly's uh, testimony, if, if you could call it that, is flimsy and thin at best. Let- it, the, her book is, uh, it's, it's, it, it is padded so much. Like to make a, to get a whole book out of this one encounter is actually a fair effort to yeah. stretch it out yeah. to a reasonable length. But it's just, it's so much- so much padding going on and so much of it relies on her dreams to sort of fill in, colour in the bits, you know. And once like, again, yeah, we, yeah. we established very early on that dreams are not evidence. Sleep is not evidence. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, because science doesn't understand <laughs> sleep. So, what do, you even, what do you even do at night but get transported to a different dimension? <laughs> to a magical fantasy land. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, there you have it. That's the story of uh, Kelly Cahill and the You Memoring creek encounter um the sources are would be they're in the extra bit in the spotify thing they'll be around the place some of the sources for this are my own interviews and they formed the background for the uh article that yeah abc on the abc news site i think it's called uh, holy grail or epic hoax is the title for the the story so have a read of classic that classic clickbait i know <laughs> isn't it <laughs> anyway by Thanks the way, um, no, like Metal Legs pay, pay for this episode, not the ABC. So. Yes. No. ABC ain't going to pay for this kind of crap. Jesus. <laughs> they have standards. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening and keep watching the skies. <laughs>